welcome to Connect with Causeway. I am your host, Therese Malvi, Vice President of Strategy and Insights at Causeway Solutions. Joining me today is Lauren Kornick, our Manager of Strategic Partnerships. Hey, Lauren. Hey, Therese. Happy New Year. Thank you. Welcome to Episode 3. As a reminder, every episode features a guest speaker. The last two episodes, we spoke with our CEO, Bill Skelly, and we spoke a lot about insights that we had seen from research that we had done recently. Today, we're really excited to have a new guest and a slightly different topic. So today, we're going to welcome Tim Dewar, our VP of Healthcare and Enterprise Insights. Hello, Tim. Hi, Therese. Hey, Lauren. Great to be with both of you. Tim has been with Causeway for over a year, but has been consulting with us for even longer. He brings expertise from the world of medicine, which is a great perk for all of us. Tim, why don't you tell our audience a little bit about yourself and how you got here? Sure, Therese. So uh, yeah, I definitely have a different path to getting to the wonderful world of data analytics. I graduated uh, school in 2003 as a physical therapist and practiced for 15 years as a hands-on clinician, first in a small practice and then eventually with a large pediatric health system. During that time, I kind of switched over from a hands-on clinician to really becoming more of an administrator and getting a lot of different perspective on the healthcare industry as a whole. That kind of came to a head in during COVID shutdown of 2020, 2021, where I started helping out some friends at Causeway with just different insights into the healthcare space. And eventually in the middle of 2021, that turned into a full-time role. And you guys have been stuck with me ever since. <laughs> Thank you, Tim. Yeah. And as I mentioned, we're happy to be stuck with you. <laughs> so as I mentioned earlier, in our first two episodes, we talked about the results of recent surveys we've done. But today, we're going to change that because surveys are only a part of what we do at Causeway. The heart of our business is actually acquisition analytics, where we're able to create the best targeted audiences based on both quality data, so a lot of what we've talked about in the past, and thorough analysis. And that's what we're going to talk about today. I think it's going to be really interesting. Yeah, the stories and groups and observations we found in the surveys in episodes one and two are really just step one of what we do for all of our projects and all of our clients. So now that we've done that in the previous episodes, we can dig a little deeper and get into step two. Yeah, and I think that's really where I come in as part of Causeway as well. So timing is probably good here. Because while the data is incredibly important to help us learn more about the consumers, it's really when we start turning those into sort of actionable insights that things change. So everybody's heard about the data-driven decision-making and marketing especially. But a lot of that really is focused much, much more on sort of retention and satisfaction of knowing more about the customer someone already has. Um, when Therese says acquisition analytics, that's really what we try to focus on, um, using insights that go well beyond customers that are already known to a client and trying to do a bit more. So a lot of times that involves really important aspects of segmentation. Um, and segmentation usually means taking some demographics and trying to narrow down an audience based on what you think you're going to find. But what we do is really probabilistic modeling, which really says, let's find out some possibilities that what is their likelihood to take a, a certain action or feel a certain way. So like Lauren, as you said, surveying really is essential and it helps figure out a larger perspective and how many people feel a way and really what's an exact answer. But modeling is pretty cool because it goes one step further and finds out sort of exactly who are these people. What are the probabilities they're going to do? What are the probabilities they're going to take an action or feel a certain way? As a company, this used to be mostly 100% custom work, but now we're starting to move into a new world where we can do this ahead of time really for anybody at any time. Um, and that's what I do, really figuring out how do we take all these modeling and 
complex machine learning tasks that we run and make them actionable audiences. So there's definitely someone else that can talk about the machine learning and algorithms much better than me. But um, once we turn to an audience, that's really where I get to kick in. And I think that's great in terms of making it relatable because a lot of times people talk about modeling and that is sometimes confusing. But really what we're talking about is audiences, right? And that's really actual people that our customers can interact with directly, right? Yeah, I mean, exactly. Because the the data collection and the surveying and the model constructions are truly essential pieces of what we do. But it's only once they get turned into audiences that then our clients are really able to identify exactly who it is they should reach out to. I like to tell everybody that an audience is something that can be defined. So it's not just about the number of people in this group, but really starting to spend some time to figure out what's their makeup, what what are their demographics, what's their geography, what are their consumer traits. We can build a model, an audience rather, even using multiple models stacked on top of each other to really get things into a different space for our clients. So they can be adjusted and refined over time as things change, correct? Yeah, absolutely. Um, Some of our models we're going to redo multiple times, usually about on an annual basis. As people's opinions or thoughts change, we want to make sure we stay on top of that as well. So Mm -hmm. so that's one way to refine them by redoing and recapturing the the data piece. The other part we refine them is really by adding extra layers or extra pieces to that filtering. So an audience, because there's individuals, we can say we just want to see a certain geography or maybe a certain gender or income level or even again – overlapping multiple models to really get down to a a narrower segmentation and and a narrower group to reach out to. Yeah. And what's great about that is that it's not only about getting more specific target, but it's also being able to work with what the client wants or what the client needs. So it's about being affordable and adjustable to them. So you can target the whole world, but obviously you can't afford to target the whole world, but you can target this little region or this state or this county, and it might end up being better for you, not just for your wallet, but also for your targeting in general. Yeah, actually, Lauren, I think that's interesting. I saw a billboard the other day that said, billboards reach everyone. And uh, I decided in our head, we're the exact opposite of you don't want to reach everyone. Our job is to figure out how do you reach somebody much smaller and really much narrower group. You know what I always like is a good example. So um, let's segue over to uh, some of the ways that we've used models and audiences here at Causeway. Yeah. And I think obviously if you're letting me give us some of the examples, I'm going to start off with the healthcare world. Um, obviously the place I came from in the back. Yeah. So if we talk about healthcare, one of the most exciting ones we've been working on for the past few months was really figure out what is somebody's driver of healthcare choice in the, sort of the new world of healthcare. It's been much more understood that healthcare patients are consumers first or consumers as well, I guess you could say. And so what drives them to choose between multiple providers? Assuming all the things are equal, it's easy to say, oh, it's because insurance made them go here, or oh, because they were going to save some money with their copay. But the reality is if everything else is equal, people do have a choice in where they go. So our drivers of healthcare choice really came down to three different things. One group was based on convenience. How close is an office to their home? How easy it is to schedule an appointment? Do they provide things like telehealth that are really focused truly on convenience? A second modeled group here, you know, the second audience really focused on quality, you know, providers that have significant experience, providers or physicians that have won awards, have accolades, hospital systems that have advanced technologies, you know, that's a quality first approach. And then lastly would be compassion or connection. Um, And this is your classic bedside manner. So, you know, there's a group that that's key for them is seeing the same provider, knowing the staff, having the staff know them. So those three things, although everybody has a little mix of everything, we were able to really generate some very nice audience 
audience is using those modeled results to see some differences there. I think that's pretty cool because normally things would be based on demographics, but with healthcare demographics, people get a little bit scared with the data privacy issues. People don't like their healthcare information being out there. And with this way of targeting on motivations instead of just healthcare information of who's more likely to need this procedure, it's more personable and less intrusive. So it's nice to target on that because you get people who are more likely going to register with the message, but also going to likely register with the fact that you're targeting on what they want rather than these personable or personal characteristics. Absolutely. I mean, I think that's really essential when it comes to healthcare. And especially, I think that's one of the reasons why so many healthcare marketing teams have really hedged their bets and stayed away from anything that felt personalized. So first, it's important to note everything we're doing is completely HIPAA compliant and we use no healthcare information when we figure this out. We're, we're using our own data collection to get down to what people are interested in. But as you said, people really do expect a personalized message. Multiple studies have proven that out. But now when we connect on what they're seeking from their care as opposed to certain diagnosis, it feels much safer. So when we did that, really one of the groups that came out the most was the group that sought compassion. Um, maybe this is a surprise, maybe it's not, but when you think about how healthcare has changed in the last 20 or 30 years, it's really gotten away from that. That connection with your patient has become secondary to having fancier technology or frankly seeing more patients. So 20% of adults felt like compassion was what they wanted. They wanted a connection with their provider. This group of all of the groups was most likely to be older and retired and therefore were higher frequency users as well. So they wanted to be there often, but they wanted to see the same person each time. The second largest group really focused on quality. And interestingly, this was a complete flip from the audience. This was the youngest group. Um, they were younger, but also with a higher income level. These are the groups that sought other scientific interests. They were overall worried with quality across the board. And that included the group that was most likely to buy high-end appliances, you know, two and a half times more likely than anyone else to spend big money when it came to new refrigerators. <laughs> new refrigerators. <laughs> You're right, Tim. At first, this may seem like an odd inclusion, but I guess it makes sense. But I've found that this really resonates with me in terms of, you know, the idea that somebody could actually sit down and talk to you rather than just trying to get you out of their office in less than 30 seconds. If they're more likely to be motivated by quality and medical care, why wouldn't it translate to other purchases as well? Like refrigerators. <laughs> yeah, if you want a high-end refrigerator, you also expect quality from your doctor. I think that would make sense. <laughs> I think that's true. And, and I think it's important to note too that it is. When we're moving away from demographics, some of the things these people care about do cross over boundaries between purchase habits or feelings and beliefs. Unfortunately, it also translates to the last group, which is convenience. This is a group that really doesn't seem to have much of a choice, unfortunately. You know, while the oldest group can seek compassion and connection, the younger group can seek quality. The convenience group, the last one, really were dominated by parents and older students that didn't have much of a choice. Time is of the essence for this group. And it also included many people that were multi-generational generational households, people taking care of both their children and their parents. They don't have the time or the luxury of choosing quality or compassion. It's really convenience has to be their first thought when it comes to healthcare. And it's interesting that you're saying it's convenience and this makes sense for the categories you listed, but convenience isn't necessarily stuck with just income. It's time or income or even some other thing. It's just working with your schedule for these parents, adults, multi-general household. So it's just about finding that thing that they have in common, which is convenience. Exactly. I mean, both my wife and I work in healthcare, and I would say we would love to say we were compassionate and quality 
as our primary drivers. But I'll tell you, with three younger kids, convenience is what I would probably check the box. Who's got after hours? Who can I schedule online? Those are the things that right now would dominate my my choice in healthcare provider. So while I can keep going back and forth with healthcare stuff all day, and I've made many many conversations go that direction. I think maybe we can switch over if you want to hear about some other models we've had lately that are really less healthcare and instead focusing on one of the most commercial brands there are of uh, the automobile world and vehicle purchases. I love vehicle purchases because they're always so connected to personality. (laughs) Or at least how everyone wants you to believe. Exactly. So this group, one of the different approaches we took as we kind of talk through it, it, it's not so much about just trying to pick the car or the truck that really fits who you are. We spent a lot more time focusing on why people buy a vehicle or what they expect from that experience. Historically, it was focused more on the local dealership that wants to tell you why you're going to get the best deal when you come into their lot. They're going to be there. They'll have everything you need. And it's sell, sell, sell. On the flip side, you had manufacturers that want to make the vehicle the ideal choice for you and tell you all the rock climbing tours, you're going to go on with it, or you're going to drive the Autobahn, things that make you really desire the car. But very few times do you see anything talking about, well, why does a consumer actually want to purchase any vehicle? And so that's where we got looking at that idea of coming out of COVID where there was a vehicle shortage and supply chain issues. It really has changed the dynamics of what's expected from a vehicle purchase. Yeah. And again, looking at motivations instead of demographics, which is probably smart because pretty much every adult drives or has bought a car. So Motivations, I think, are a little bit more interesting way to break it down. But this time, we're looking at motivations on not just one factor of why they want to buy a vehicle, but two this time, right? Yeah, because it's, like I said, there's the, why do you purchase a vehicle at all? Is a vehicle a want for you? It's an extravagance, something that you really want to make it shiny and special? Or is it a need of, you know, a vehicle is a transactional piece for you. It gets you from point A to point B. On the flip side, when we're talking about vehicle sales, well, what's their process? Does somebody want to buy what's on the lot right here, right now, and it's an immediate transaction for them, and they just want to hit the road and go? Or is it a willing to wait? You know, in the new age of vehicle purchases, there's much more ability to make customized options. There's an ability to order online. But if you do this, you're going to wait a bit more. So it's not an immediate transaction. And that changes the game. So when we put those two together of want versus need and on the lot versus willing to wait, now we can come up with four really unique buying profiles. One is the conscious consumer. This is the group that a vehicle is a bit of a need. They're willing to wait because they know exactly what they want. I think this is actually a group I'd probably put myself in. I just had to wait an incredibly long time for a vehicle, so much so that we gave up and decided to just stay with what we had. So like the opposite is an impulse buyer. This is somebody who buys a vehicle as a want. A vehicle is a bit of an extravagance. They want the bells and whistles, but they're going to buy what's right there at the moment. You know, they're willing to change maybe a color, you know, other factors to leave with the car they want because it's it's an impulse buy for them, um, which sounds crazy when you're talking That's about 60,000. You're an impulse buyer, Therese? <laughs> I am an impulse buyer, but I'm not sure I could settle on a color I don't like. <laughs> but yeah, I talk to the people who do all the research and then I go and buy the car once I've decided that I can deal with the process of buying it. Well, the largest group we found was actually what we call the need it now group. And this was about 28% of the country. And need it now was the purchase is based on need and they want what's on the lot. So this is, they want that immediate transaction. They may have driven in with a car that was barely holding itself together and they're going to drive out with something that finally works for them again. But interestingly, this group is more likely to be female, more likely to have a lower income and lower education, and more likely to be of the older group. So 50 to 69 years old. Um, Maybe they've gotten past the point where the car has to be shiny and they just want something that's going to get them around. And with those demographic breakdowns, it'd be interesting to see, and this is also normally what we do behind the scenes, is the demographics on the other need profile, which is the conscious consumer, and see if there's this crossover. If they're similar, 
it's interesting enough that even though these two groups may look the same or have the same background, there's still an extra motivational difference that's important to note when you're trying to either market to these people or sell these people. The conscious consumer, even though they need the vehicle, is going to resonate with a different message than the need it now group, even if they look the same. Exactly. Both of them are not going to be turned on by you know the extravagances of the car, but they want the functionality. But you're right, the conscious consumer versus the need it now both have two different willingnesses of how, how long they'll hang out there to get what they want. So yeah, it is interesting when we cross over those groups. It's so important too, right? To, you know, to understand what what are the features, what are the pieces of the car buying process that they really care about. So you're not wasting their time and you're really, you know, honing in on what's most important to them. Yeah, exactly. And that goes even further when we talk about the fourth group, which we titled Just For Me. And this is a group that the car isn't extravagance, but they are willing to wait. So Therese, unlike you, the impulse buyer who (laughs) wants something shiny, but wants to make sure she drives home with it today. This is a group that's willing to wait for their exact specifications. Compared to the other groups, this was actually the youngest group, much more likely to be a well-educated millennial with a pretty good income of $100,000 plus. So, So this is a millennial that we're pretty likely that this vehicle is the first major purchase they're going to make independently. Um, And therefore, they want it to be just special, just right, and exactly to their specifications. But although they're willing to wait, you have to keep them engaged because this is a purchase out of excitement. So it's a little different than that impulse buyer who just wants to go home right now. They probably want to talk about it a lot. Probably, and probably share it in social media. And these are the things we'll do. We can cross-reference with all the other things, like you said, Lauren, of what else is involved? How, how else do they function? Yeah, yeah. because normally this would be my group. I mean, demographically, I break down, but I would be in your fifth category of 0.01% of people out there who have inherited their car instead. <laughs> I think we have to create a new group for Lauren. <laughs> Lauren, you could be your own special group, but maybe you're trying to nudge you know, family members to fall into another category so you can get the car they want. That's a whole different approach. You just have to wait 10 years. Well, what other kinds of audiences are we looking into? Um, This new way of having these available is pretty exciting. So I'd be interested to know more about what we're thinking in terms of what's our priorities next. Yeah, two groups that are in the works right now as we speak are uh, based on social media use and streaming platform use. Um, While there's tons known about this, if you are in the platform and the teams of Facebook, Netflix, etc. have more than enough information on their users, but they tend to keep most of that close to the vest and don't share it. So at Causeway, we're working on some ways to look at that, not only who subscribes to certain services, but who's a high frequency versus lower frequency user so that we can help cross-reference that with other different audiences. Another one that I'm really interested about is um, sort of video games and esports. This is a growing market that there's not a lot known about this group. And again, the audience here, we're looking to see what do they do offline when they're not playing the game or watching the, the game, because there's really not a lot known about their overall consumerism for this group. Yeah, and a portion of them are from Causeway Solutions. I think that much we know. Yes, as I've talked through that audience uh, internally with the team, it's really been many, many hands put up to volunteer to work that project for us and put all their time into research as necessary. We have a big group of givers there. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, this was really interesting. I've mentioned on the other two podcasts that if our listeners are interested at all in having us focus our research on any particular topic or you have questions you want to answer, that's still a possibility. But now that we are talking about these audiences, that's another possibility. What audiences do you wish that we had or would you like to see? We would love to hear from you. So thank you, Lauren and Tim. 
It's been really fun to talk with both of you today. And thank you to all of our listeners for joining us. We hope you enjoyed our third episode of Connect with Causeway. Please give us your feedback when you can on social media. And please subscribe to the podcast and tune in again for our next episode in March. Mm-hmm.